All right. Do I have anybody in the house today that is good at flying kites? All right. Like two of you. That's good. All right. And who else in the room is like me that we drag kites? It's like we've got, who's tried, but just the kite won't go in the air. Like that, that's me with my kids. I've got four kids, so I've got a lot of good experience of this, of being like, okay, we're going to go fly a kite. It's not the right day. It's not windy. And so we just do laps and laps and laps with the kite. Like, I know that there's not wind in this thing, but if we just run enough, maybe we'll get it high enough that it'll actually stay up on their own until the conditions just kind of prove that, they, that we don't have any control over them. Until the conditions show that, like, if there's not wind in the kite, it doesn't really matter how much you run. Like, you can't control the wind no matter how much you want it to do what you want it to do. It doesn't matter what you think. It won't matter how much you run. The wind's got to be in the kite to fly the kite, right? And it's actually, there's a story, it's not a story, it's something that happened. In 1848, there was a kite flying contest across the Niagara Gorge. And there was a $10 prize, which is a bunch of kids competing for about $350. You can see how they would be in it to win it. Kids all brought their kites out, but the wind was blowing the wrong direction. So one of the kids said, you know what? I can't make the wind change directions, but what I can do is I can climb down the gorge. I can take the boat across. I can go to the other side of the gorge, fly my kite, and it'll push it over to where everyone is. And there's this reality that we can either work with what the wind is doing, or we can try to make it do what we want. I like how Billy, Billy Graham described understanding and seeing God. He said, I've never seen God and I've never seen the wind, but I see the effects of the wind. There's so many times where it's like, you know, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to pull this relationship. I know this relationship isn't what God wants from me. I know that it doesn't follow what scripture says, but I'm just going to pull this relationship until it flies and God's not in it. It's not going to fly. I know God has said that I should be honest, but if I just adjust some of the things in my portfolio, then I'll get hired and I'll have the right job and I'll finally have the things that I dreamed of. And you're just pulling the kite, trying to do it your own way. But God's not going to be in it and he's not going to bless it. I think that there's this mental philosophy of questioning God because he doesn't do what we tell him to do. When in reality, it should be us asking God, what do you want of us? We try to control God the same way that, you know, if I, just, if I just run and do it my own way enough, then maybe the wind will fill it. No, that's not how it works. Today's message is called Fly the Kite. And we're going to be studying a passage in Zechariah chapter 4. If you have your Bible with you, you can open up there. Um, just for a little context, this was during a time where the, the Jewish nation, where Israel had been defeated. And if, you, if you're not too familiar with biblical history, I want to just give you a couple pieces of important information so you can understand where their mind was at when this prophecy that was given in Zechariah was received, how they were thinking and feeling about it. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people, they, they were told, as long as you follow my ways and you don't turn towards these foreign gods, these gods who demand child sacrifice, these gods who call you into all kinds of destructive and disgusting things, as long as you follow my ways, I will protect you. I will give you everything that you need. You will stay in the land. But if you turn from me, 
is what God told them. This was the first covenant. If you turn from me, I will expel you from the land. And that's what happened. God's people turned and he disciplined them and they were defeated by the Persians and they were brought out to Babylonia and they were dispersed and they had a weight of guilt and anger about the fact that they weren't in their land and they weren't with their people and that the temple of God had been destroyed and the walls were in ruin. And then they reached this point where it seemed like this impossible dream of going back home might be able to come true. But even in going back home, as the Persians began to allow them to go back, the surrounding nations, the surrounding cities said, we have bigger armies than you, we have more resources than you, and we will never let you rebuild. Your dream is impossible. And one of the leaders of these people was Zerubbabel. It's a fun name. We need more kids running around named Zerubbabel. I know we've got some pregnancies in the house. Consider it. Zerubbabel Paul. Great name. All right? Zerubbabel, the name actually means offspring of Babylon. Can you see how that name being pushed onto you as a Jewish person would be offensive? I mean, the, the names that the Babylonians gave all of the Jews were all offensive, all pointing them towards foreign gods, and it was all intentional to try to break them and integrate them into their society so their people would never go back. Zerubbabel, this Jewish boy who was born into captivity in Babylon, he comes from a line of leaders. In fact, his ancestry is included in Jesus's genealogy in the Gospels. And so he's in the line of Jesus in the future, but, but his grandfathers were leaders within Judah, governors. And Zerubbabel is given this, God gives a word to Zechariah to go to and share with Zerubbabel because Zerubbabel is starting the work of rebuilding the temple, which seems like this impossible dream. It's one of those dreams that like, as you start it, if, if God's not in it, it's not gonna fly because it's too big, it's too impossible, it's too much work. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open, we'll project the words on the screen. I'll be li- reading from the New Living Translation starting in verse six of chapter four of Zechariah. And it says, then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hands. Now, to go to the beginning of the passage, when, when it says, not by force, not by strength, but by my spirit. When you think of undertaking something as big as rebuilding the temple, you immediately, and when you look into the other accounts of what was happening around the time as Nehemiah was building the wall, they were building the wall with one hand and holding a sword in the other. There was fear that force was going to be needed to protect the things of God at this time. And Zechariah is given this prophecy that this dream and this calling that you have, 
This task that God has assigned to you, Zerubbabel, you're not going to pull it off by strength and you're not going to pull it off by force. There's so many things that can be won by strength and force. There's so many things that are happening through generations and in nations today that, that we will have our way for a time because we will exert the force to get our way. And it seems like it works for a while But in this circumstance, the force and the strength, it's not going to get you there at all. God says, what I'm going to do and how I'm going to see this happen, it's going to be empowered by my spirit. You're going to see that God's hand is in it, and it's not going to be attributed to any one person's giftings or strengths or authority or respect. It's going to all point back to God. This, this series, this whole line of thinking, Win the Day, it's, it's targeted to propel you towards the truth that God has a calling and a vision and a purpose for you right now. And some of those purposes, they feel weighty. They feel like a heavy load on your back. They feel like it might be too big for you to get through this season. And I want to tell you, it's like pulling the kite. When you try to fulfill the calling that God's given you on your own strength, on your own force, it is going to feel like too much. You have to make sure you position yourself where the wind is moving. To make the comparison to flying the kite, when when we're trying to pursue living out a calling for God, the question isn't, God, why aren't you where I want you to be? The question is, are you where God has called you to be? Because if God has called you to do something, he's going to equip you for it. He's going to give you the strength that you need. He's going to give you the resources you need to to fulfill it. And so I I want to say it this way in this first section. You can't control the wind, but you can let it move you. So right now, as you're pursuing the things of God in your life, are you letting him move you and reposition you and change where you're at? Or are you trying to control him? Are you trying to use God to hold on to a relationship that you know that he doesn't want you in? Are you trying to use God to stay in a work situation or a life situation? Are you trying to have one hand on God and one hand on addiction? When God would just move you right out of that. I'll tell you the great things that he does in our life, they they don't come from the, the force that we can apply. They come from the moving of his Holy Spirit. And I believe that God can do incredibly more than I ever ask or imagine out of him. I like the way that the author, um, Mark Batterson, of the book, Win the Day, that we're kind of following through as we go this. He wrote another book called Circle Maker where he talked about prayer. And he said this, he said, if your prayers aren't impossible for you, they are insulting to God. But here's the thing about prayer. Prayers that get answered, they'll have these two things in common. They're in the will of God, for the glory of God. And the prayers that we feel like we don't get answers on largely are ones that it's about our name, our glory, our reputation, our wealth, our status, our prestige. But when we begin to pray for our neighbor, when we begin to serve other people and look for opportunities to encourage and help them, God answers those prayers. And that question comes to, am I going where God wants me to be or am I trying to bring God into something that I know that he hasn't blessed, that I know that he hasn't called me to? 
We want to make sure that we let the wind of God move us through life. In verse 7, it says, Not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. If you just have the smallest amount of faith in prayer, Jesus said, then that mountain will be cast into the sea. There's this truth that when God calls you to do something, when he calls you to serve somewhere, when he calls you to see an area of your life as a ministry, the place where you work, the place where you go to school, when he calls you to be at work for his kingdom in that area, there will be things that come up and you look at them and you will say, this is impossible. This is a mountain that I cannot get over. And time and time again, God will show you his faithfulness and say, hey, if I've called you to move to the other side of that, I will make a straight path for you. Time and time again, the things that we think are impossible are easy for God. He is the one who spoke not just the mountain, but the universe into existence. His power at work in his children will make a way when there appears to be no way. But once again, we've got to go and follow the wind of where he leads. The problems that we interact with, I want to tell you, yes, you should bring them to the throne room of God. The fears that you feel, the worries that you have, you need to bring them before God and talk to him about them. But there is another tool that should be in the toolbox of every Christian as you encounter things that cause you worry, anxiety, and fear. When you face a problem that feels insurmountable, you need to begin to speak out of your mouth, out loud, the truths of God to that situation where you stop talking to God about the problem and you start talking to the problem about your God. I understand that that problem feels big, but your God is bigger. And as you begin to speak about the truth, you know, when God calls his people to something, even if there's a sea that is blocking their way, God can split the sea open and his people will walk through on dry ground. God has defeated nations for his people. God has brought the dead back to life. God has restored relationships and families. God has done bigger things than this. He has moved mountains before. He will move mountains again. So I will walk through this without fear. And as you begin to speak that, the scriptural truth truth that you know in the back of your head, as it moves to the tip of your tongue, it resets your mind. Your mind is renewed by the word of God as you speak it out. And it changes your perspective of the situation. And they're all things that you know, but I want to tell you, I promise you, as you pull this tool out and you use it, it will help you. But you've got to speak to that mountain about how big your God is. And it'll set your mind straight. It'll set your path straight because you'll walk towards it without fear, knowing that God is going to meet you at your point of need as you approach those obstacles that seem impossible. And, and God was speaking to Zerubbabel here saying, when you see obstacles, don't worry about them because mountains will become plains before you because I am in this. That is the key. When you're following the leading of God in your life and you are following where he is moving you towards, he's going to make these paths straight. Will it be easy? No, it won't be easy all the time. But when God is in it, you will have the strength that you need to overcome any of those things. And the passage continues on. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, it's given that vision of victory. 
Like when you get there, when you get to the point where you're setting that final stone in place, the capstone, then the people are going to be there and they're going to be screaming, Lord, bless it, Lord, bless it. People are always loudest at the end of the work, right? (laughs) They're never around as much at the very beginning. I mean, when, when Zerubbabel is there laying the foundation, there's not as much excitement as when it's finished. But there's a truth that I think that God wanted to instill into Zerubbabel at this point where he says, okay, the obstacles, I'm going to move them out of the way. And there's going to be celebration because this is going to come to completion. I think it's important for you to think about every now and then what it's going to mean when I complete this season. What's it going to mean for us as as a relationship when we get our marriage right and God is in the midst of it? What is it going to mean when I'm faithful through these six months as I work at this job? What is it going to mean when I hit that point? To think about the celebrations that are there along the way, it will encourage you and it'll help you and it'll change the way that you're working because you have the perspective of where we're going to. Because you can be in a job, the same job as someone else, and you guys have completely different perspectives about what's going on. Like bricklayers, it can be compared to this. You could ask three guys who are laying down bricks, what they're doing, and you'll probably get three different answers, and it could be like this. The first one, what are you doing? I'm laying bricks. What do you think? And that's one perspective. You ask the next one, what are you, what are you doing? I'm building a wall. And you can see, okay, his perspective's a little wider. I'm not just, it's not just about this brick. It's about the wall. And you ask the third one, what are you doing? I'm building the temple of God for the glory of God. Three different people have three different perspectives. One is just the immediate right now. One's a little bit bigger. And one, their relationship with God is tied into how they're doing what they're doing. And it doesn't take much explanation for you to get to that conclusion that if someone recognizes whatever line of work they're working in, if they recognize that I am doing this for the glory of God, they will do it differently. They will value it differently. If you, if you work within the home and right now your job is raising up your babies and keeping your household moving the way that it should and you recognize I'm not just a stay-at-home parent. I am doing this for the glory of God. I am raising up the next generation. I, I'm investing my heart and my soul and my prayers into this children and into this household and this is to the glory of God and what I'm doing matters. It changes the way that you're doing it. If you're working for someone else in a job, And you're you're not just earning someone else money working at their company. You recognize, I have been called to be faithful in this season, in this place. And what I do, I don't just do for them. And I definitely don't just do it for the paycheck. But I do it to honor my heavenly father in this place. It changes the way that you work. And it's all an internal perspective. And it all should dial back to you asking, what is the goal for at the end of this? Because if your goal is only set on the financial numbers at the end of it, you're going to be really disappointed at one point or another. I've seen this video going around, and it was good for me when I saw it. Maybe you've seen it too. And the question was asked, if I offered you a million dollar check today, but if you received it, you didn't get to wake up tomorrow, would you take it? It's an easy one to answer. No. I'm not going to take a million. I can't spend a million dollars in heaven. It's not going to do me any good. And so we all very quickly arrive to the conclusion that, that today is worth more than a million dollars to me. Are you treating it that way? 
Are you investing your time and your effort and your energy in a way that brings glory to your heavenly father? Because today matters, it's valuable. So what are you working towards? Have you just been chasing a number? Or have you recognized that, man, this life is about my heavenly father? And so the way that we work, it matters. I want to say it this way. How you do anything is how you'll do everything. And if you recognize everything that I do should bring glory to my heavenly father, then everything that you do, you'll do a little bit differently. We believe that excellence honors God. And so we pour ourselves into all of the callings that he puts in front of us, all of the opportunities that we have, because we recognize the way that we live our life, it impacts other people in significant ways. Not just the way that we work, but even the way that we heal, the way that we repent, the way that we change, the way that we show grace to other people, it changes other people's lives. I'm going to skip around in my notes a little bit. We're going to go to verse eight. And so if you could put that on the screen as I read it, it says, then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it, which I I believe just reaffirms that truth that when God calls you to something, he's going to see you all the way through it. Then you will know the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. If you pull up Gulfside Church and you scroll like, I mean, really like creep through our history on Facebook like you do, like the the people you haven't seen in a long time and you just go deep into every photo, you'll find out that we launched, we were supposed to launch September 17th, 2017. Hurricane Irma destroyed the plan and then we launched October 1st, 2017. But if you scroll hard enough and creepy enough into it, you'll see that our page was actually started December 4th, 2015. About two years before we launched. And me and about three other people who were praying and dreaming about Gulfside Church before it ever started in 2015 said, we need to go claim our social medias. And the very first post that you'll see is actually this passage because it was me persuading myself that something as dumb and trivial as claiming a social media page actually mattered. And I believe that it did because did you catch God's emotion in this passage? Don't despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices. For the Lord rejoices. The emotion that God feels, it says that he rejoices to see the work begin. And I I believe that he painted the picture for Zerubbabel in this passage that it's going to come to completion. It's going to be done. You started it. You're going to finish it. It's going to come to completion. This dream that seems impossible, that it seems like there's so many adversaries, that it seems like you don't have enough resources. It's going to come to completion, but none of it had come to completion at the time of this writing. And the encouragement that was given is that the Lord loves to see the work begin. He rejoices as your hand begins to do what you have been called to do. That is an interesting thing to understand about the character and the personality of God. That he looks at you as you begin to obey and he has joy. As we knew we were called to launch a church, man, it started with some of the most simple and and it seemed like meaningless things. But I'm gonna tell you, as we tie thing after thing 
to each other, these small steps of obedience, they lead to so much bigger things in our life. I'm going to have to pull somebody up here. Who shall I pick on today? Um, Tony, will you come see me? Thanks, Tony. I love you, man. You look nice today. You're the best illustration of what a dream looks like. So I pulled you up on the stage. That's right. You heard that whistle. You heard that whistle. That's right. So I shared, you guys were like, why is Paul sharing stories about someone in 1848 flying a kite across the Niagara Gorge? There's a reason for that. Come on over here for me, Tony. In 1846, a civil engineer was contracted to build the first bridge across the Niagara Gorge, 800-foot span, 250 down each side with a rushing river that led to a huge waterfall that nobody wanted to fall into. And so they asked the question, how can we possibly begin to build this huge suspension bridge that has to carry trains and loads across it? How can we even begin? And as they were sitting around throwing around ideas, someone said, what if we had a kite flying contest? What if we just flew a kite string across it? What if the very first cable of our bridge was a kite string? And so this, this dream and this job that they had that felt so impossible, they connected over to their job, to their dream, with a kite string. And I don't know how good you are at engineering, but trains won't go across a kite string. But what they did, go ahead and pull that. You, you can just stand there and just, just kind of walk it to you. There you go. From the kite string... They attached a smaller cord. Go and keep going. Keep pulling it. Smaller cord. They had a bigger rope. And the rope, they had a chain. Go and hold right there for a minute. And in the same way, can you go ahead and show the picture of the bridge for me? A massive bridge was built all starting from one little kite string. And when God begins to impress on your heart, the very first step is just saying yes to a relationship with me, to receive forgiveness and new life through what Jesus did on the cross for you. That first step might feel like the smallest of kite strings. How could it ever make a difference? But the very first yes that you give to God enables you to give a stronger yes and a stronger yes. And hold on tight and just come to me when I, when I pull you in. And those dreams, that vision that you have will be connected to you in a strong way that will bring it close. Thanks, Tony. But it starts with something as small as a kite string. And there's a lot of different callings in this room. There's a lot of different responsibilities. There's a lot of different seasons in this life. But right now, I know that God has something that he is trying to work in your life and it might feel bigger than you could ever cross over to. So kind of the illustration of the day is to choose to fly the kite. Get that kite string across with one decision and trust God for the next. So that you experience his faithfulness and so for the people around you as well. Because you're present, the way that you navigate this right now, your present will paint someone else's future. As they see how you live for God, as they see your testimony of how you change and how you live, 
Someone's gonna look at you and they're gonna say, I, I could say yes, I could begin. If God could work in them, then God could definitely work in me because they are pretty messed. You know, they will learn from you. But I believe it starts with the smallest, yes. So as God impresses on your heart, trust him. He knows what he's doing and he'll see you through it. Let's pray. Father, scripture and our history is filled with stories of your faithfulness. And time and time again, you show that you are good, that you are trustworthy, and that you will provide every ounce of strength that we need. So as we approach the calling and the dream that you have for us, we start with the simplest and the smallest yes. And we thank you that you look at us with joy and rejoicing. And as we move towards this calling, we are gonna trust that you will empower every step as we follow where you're leading, where your wind directs us. In Jesus' name, amen.